What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm, joined today by Chris Grenham and Nicole Yang. And today we celebrate the return of the NBA season. The Celtics are back uh, and they have lost, but they played pretty well. There was uh, definitely a lot of interesting notes from their 138 to 134 double overtime loss to the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. So we are going to go through uh, six takeaways from tonight's game. Nicole has us started off with, I I think, a very controversial take, which is Jalen is good. This is his first live action basketball since going into quarantine. And it's not like he was a close contact. Like he tested positive and had COVID and he acknowledged like his breathing was really heavy at the end. He could feel it. And I don't think that should be ignored, but he scored 46 in 46. Ime Udoka was like, yeah, his minutes are going to be limited. And nope, that was not the case. He played a game high, scored a career high. So very encouraging performance from him, especially also when you consider the wrist injury. I think it's also worth mentioning that he he could feel his heartbeat. That's the scary one. Obviously, he's recovered. It sounds, you know, his lungs will be okay eventually. I mean, even Tatum, Tatum's off his inhaler now. But it's like the heartbeat stuff. That's where he, you know, where he talks about really feeling his heartbeat down the stretch. I'm like, oof. I think in terms of, you know, his minute limit and trying to keep his minutes down, that was just gone right away because he just started so hot. And if you're Ime Odoka and he starts playing that well, you're like, all right, no one else is scoring here. Like, what am I supposed to do? And so it seemed like, at least from what Ime was saying after the game, that that kind of went out the window pretty quickly and Jalen Brown wasn't going to be one to take himself out. So the way he put it didn't sound all that concerning to me like he said his breathing felt like slightly irregular and he did know his heartbeat kind of beating out of his chest you know obviously that's that's scary as is a lot of these symptoms that guys have when they start playing after COVID but he didn't sound all that concerned which I took as a as a good thing I mean it's pretty impressive that he was able to go out there after basically sitting in quarantine for 10 days play 46 minutes score 46 points I mean his legs must have been pure jello by the end of this one Watching him go out there, it's just like, oh my gosh, like this dude, um, you know, Rob Williams was like, he's a bucket, he's a hooper. And I was like, yep, that is Jalen Brown at this point. Like, it's he is really good. This performance speaks to why the Celtics didn't trade him for a superstar because he's right up there in terms of what he can contribute. And he was 16 of 30 from the field today, including eight three-pointers. Six of eight from the line. It was a great stat line. And obviously Jason Tatum is the team's 1A star and like is going to be. And I don't think that's going to be challenged at all. But I do wonder how they're going to sort of approach that dynamic. Like I think everyone was tired at the end of this game, but I think maybe people would have liked to have seen them ride Jalen a little bit more since he clearly had the hot hand instead of letting Tatum sort of ISO and go for the game winners and things like that. That being said, yes, like everyone was clearly exhausted so maybe it was a matter of fatigue but I I am curious to see if they try and defer more when Jalen has it going as opposed to always just defaulting to Tatum I think what a performance like tonight says too is like when Jalen has it going he is good enough that he can be the guy who takes the shot at the end of the game instead of Tatum because a lot of times you know a guy will have it going but then at the end of the game it's still going to be the other superstar who gets the shot like Jalen is good enough that I think you can feel comfortable. I mean, he's hit game winning shots before. I actually, I, I had some, you know, I had 
some criticisms of Tatum for taking that last shot. I mean, the guy was at the time, I think he was like six for 25 or something like that. You know, horrible stat line clearly did not have it going. You know, it almost felt like he was trying to have like a repeat of last year where he, he had the, you know, the game winner on opening night against the Bucks. You know, it kind of felt like he was going for that a second time. And it was like, well, yeah, you, you airballed, dude. Like <laughs> who could have seen that coming when you've airballed like, you know, five or six shots in this quarter alone. So not an impressive night for Tatum, which is my um, first takeaway here. Obviously, Ime Udoka said after the game, he was seven for 30. Jason Tatum is not going to be seven for 30 very often. This was one of those bad games that he has. But I think the thing that's concerning for me isn't, it isn't that he had a bad game because obviously he's going to bounce back and obviously he's going to be Jason Tatum. He's obviously going to be just a a star player this season. But I feel like to be like a true 1A super duper star, top five, top eight, whatever you want to call him player in the NBA, like he just has to be less streaky. Tatum can really be, I don't want to say he can be taken out of a game. Tatum can sometimes kind of take himself out of a game, I feel like, because he he just keeps missing and missing. And obviously any star player is going to try to shoot themselves back, you know, into rhythm. But I feel like Tatum in particular, he just sometimes has these awful games and sometimes they come at bad times like he's had them in the playoffs before and it's like to, to really vault himself into the next kind of stratosphere I feel like if he can eliminate some of these really terrible seven for 30 performances that would do a lot for him yeah the streakiness we've talked about that in the past like even last year when he had a really ridiculous stretch in the second half of the season there would be you know that 40 point 50 point game whatever and then there'd be you know an occasional 15 or 16 followed by like a 20 point game an inefficient 20 point game a lot of times I feel like it's kind of what he falls back on on an off night that kind of leads him wrong at times and if he would just fall back on maybe being a little more physical and going downhill, which he did a little bit toward the end of, I think it was the first overtime, no, second overtime. He finally worked off the dribble, got downhill, got an and one. And it was like for so long, he was just trying to find his shot just like off the dribble with sometimes contested shots. Like I'm curious to see if down the line when he's having an off night like this, if we see him adjust in how he tries to get his rhythm because some nights your shot just is not falling so you should try to go elsewhere to maybe try and find your game a little bit and I'd be curious to see if he maybe tried to hammer going downhill a couple possessions in a row on a night like this as opposed to settling on the perimeter which that is his game that is what he's been really good at he's extremely good at it but I think he talked about it a little bit I think tonight he could have benefited maybe late from going downhill a little bit more as opposed to settling outside and just trying to find that shot like if you're two of 15 from three point range, like just put your head down, you'll probably get fouled. You're approaching superstar status. You'll maybe get calls at this point. Like I totally agree that it should be like a mindset shift. Don't just keep hoisting them. Like at some point, maybe try and have an impact like a different way. The the biggest question is going to be more what happens, like what happens when, when, when they're playing Detroit and he's four for 16. Is he driving to the hoop then? Because I get that like it's opening night, it's Madison Square Garden, it's the Knicks. Um, so I, yeah, I want to see what happens when, you know, they're playing Minnesota on the road and he's a little bit off in the first quarter and the second quarter, does he start, you know, kind of muscling people out of the way? Does he, you know, body Jaden McDaniels as he's going to the rim and, you know, drawing and one, I think those are the really important things. I'm certainly not going to like judge him off one performance, but I do think, you know, this kind of performance was what we talked about. And the reason we, we think it's so important for him to get to the free throw line and to start getting to the rim more. That's the way that superstars who are not Steph Curry, you know, that's the way they build consistency, right? Is they get those easy shots first and then the hard shots start to come. So hoping to see more of that from Tatum this season. 
yeah, like I'm not concerned about Jason Tatum and yeah, I'm not going to judge him off of just the season opener. However, this is consistent with what we've seen from him, like the past couple of seasons. So this isn't like a rogue performance, really. Like it is a pattern at this point, like until he proves us wrong. So I don't think it's necessarily unfair for us to say these things. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. And I also wanted to bring it up because they would have won if he had been a little better. (laughs) Like they just would (laughs) have. If he has a halfway decent night, they probably should win this game, not handily, but they would definitely have won the game. Yeah, I totally agree. And right, he said it. He's not crazy discouraged or anything. He's, I think his quote was like, I've been doing this for a while now, so I'm not all that discouraged. But Nicole, you're right. Like there are some, I don't want to say like red flags or anything, but it's consistent with what he's seen. So like there could be adjustments moving forward for sure that would help him out. All right. Well, Grenham, you wanted to talk about Grant Williams. I have two different storylines here with Grant that I kind of want to touch on. Obviously he started and they matched him up with Julius Randle, which didn't go all that well. Tough matchup. Julius Randle is a very big human being. Grant Williams recently lost a lot of weight. And so he's a little (laughs) bit smaller than he once was. And that makes a matchup with Julius Randle, which is already difficult, much more difficult. Like there were various stretches tonight where he was guarding Julius Randle and he was in good position, but Randle was just shooting over him with ease. There's only so much you could do there. It was kind of difficult. And I did see like people on Twitter early on being like, oh my God, like Grant Williams is getting like toasted, like whatever. And it was difficult because a lot of those times he was in good position and stuff, but there was only so much he could do. So I do think some of the Grant Williams, Julius Randall defensive commentary was a little overblown at points. There were points where Julius Randall just totally overpowered him. And it was like, he should not be guarding him. They got to figure something out. But I do think there were portions of this matchup where I was like, okay, like, I don't think it's as bad as people are making it seem. It's kind of a difficult matchup from the jump. And I honestly do think he kind of made the best out of a shitty situation. And honestly, for two or three possessions in the early going, I thought Grant guarded Randall pretty well. And then, yeah, I mean, Randall just went crazy. To your point, like, yeah, I'm not sure how much you can blame Grant when Julius Randall just looks like a monster out there. Guarding Julius Randle, one, I don't think that was the Celtics' like first option. Like I think if Al Horford were available, Grant would not have this assignment as much as he did. So I think he fared well given the circumstances. And he's in his tough spot because he lost all this weight because they don't want him to be like that bully ball, like small ball center anymore. And literally the first game, they put him in that role where he would have benefited from having all that weight. So I, I don't really think people should feel too down about Grant. I think when I look at Grant's performance I think one of the most important things is that he made three of his five three-pointers and we'll see if that sticks but like that was never happened last year or the year before the grant three-pointers and his offensive side of things he was good the Celtics do not even come close to having a shot for Marcus Smart to hit at the end of regulation if it isn't for Grant Williams he scored 11 points in that fourth quarter yeah he's four four with no turnovers in seven minutes with 11 points in the fourth quarter like those were big points because there were very stretches not even very stretches the second half of that fourth quarter was for the most part horrific for the Celtics just really really bad possessions really awful decision making on a number of levels there was a couple possessions there where the ball ended up in Grant's hands sometimes late in the shot clock sometimes not but he knocked down shots when he was given the opportunity and he 
really kept the Celtics in the game. Like the Celtics had that string of awful possessions. And I looked up and somehow the Celtics were only down like six points or something. They were still in the game. And I think a lot of that is credit to Grant because he was kind of a consistent contributor there down the stretch when most of the, his teammates just sucked offensively. Now, one of the things I thought about when with him starting was like, interesting, Ime probably doesn't want to screw up his rotation. So he's just like, here, guy who's not going to play very much. Why don't you start? <laughs> <laughs> but um, Nicole, you wanted to talk about the rotations and kind of the group of 11 players um, that Ime is comfortable playing with. Kind of what, what, what stood out to you about that particular topic? In terms of like the young guys, I think Tom was correct in that Romeo was going to have a larger role. I mean, it's only the first game, but he played more minutes than both Aaron and Peyton and had a bigger impact. So honestly, if I were Josh Richardson, I would be sweating a little bit about my minutes and sort of what my role could be moving forward because I think these young guys, especially Romeo, are showing that they deserve a share too. So I don't think Josh Richardson has as strong of a hold on his position as maybe we once thought. I think that's a really interesting point because Richardson, like he brings some things, right? Like he can handle the ball. He, he can play defense, but it's not like he brings so much. That, like, he's not Schroeder, right? Like he's not bringing so much that you're just like, we have to find that guy minutes somewhere. Screw Romeo Langford, screw Aaron Neesmith. No, like if those guys are playing well, I don't think it's out of the question that Josh Richardson, I don't think he's going to fall out of the rotation, but he might drop down it a little bit, uh, you know, in a way that might be a little uncomfortable for him. So yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah, just kind of adding on. I mean, everything Nicole said was spot on. I would be a little nervous if I'm Josh Richardson watching Romeo play tonight because he was really productive offensively. And granted, he's not like a high volume guy. So it's not like his productive was, you know, seven of 12 or anything like that but he was four of six and he looked really confident he came down and nailed a pull-up three shortly after he came into the game like he just looks a lot more comfortable than he has in the past and I think he made sure to kind of seize this opportunity because he wasn't going to play 22 minutes tonight if Josh Richardson was in the lineup but he got the opportunity to do it and he played really well so this is something we've talked about you know to each other but I think I need to back off the Romeo on the outside looking in kind of thing because I think as we move forward here it seems more and more like he is on the inside looking out I think Romeo did a really nice job kind of seizing an opportunity tonight I think as Romeo gets more comfortable in the league we're going to start to see him do more I mean when he came in I literally think that he did not have a body that was ready for the NBA yet if you're not physically ready for the NBA you will get hurt and I, I think it's quite plausible that Romeo Langford might just not have been physically ready for the NBA yet as he gets there you know, as he has full off seasons, as he has training camps, as he has opportunities to work on things like a jump shot, which is really showing out for him. I think he's going to get, you know, more and more consistent minutes. And I think he's going to have a bigger and bigger role with this team. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think he's going to have a real role this season. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what they do with him. But, yeah, I think he's going to play a pretty fair amount of minutes. Yeah, Romeo, the way he's gone through his first couple years here, he seems like the kind of guy that might eventually be able to act like that utility man who can just kind of morph into whatever you need at the end of the bench or at the end of the rotation because he's been a different player basically every season he's been in the NBA. It seems like he's a guy who could step up on any given night and kind of fill a role or fill a void where, you know, someone's out like tonight with Josh Richardson. So I think that would be a huge, huge boost to have at the back end of this rotation for Udoka. My last takeaway revolves around Rob Williams, who I thought defensively was just a monster tonight. I thought he was in position 
defensively. I thought he was very patient. You know, guards would go up against him and he would stay down until he could block their shot. He did that to Kemba at least once. He just looked really, really good. And I think the Celtics are going to have a really good problem. I still have my questions about the double big lineup but I think both of their bigs are so good. You might have to do it just because they're both so good. Rob looked great. I just thought tonight was a really encouraging performance from him. Yeah, I think the number that stands out to me is 45 minutes. The fact that he played 45 minutes and played so well in that heavy share is awesome. Prior to this, Rob had never played more than 32 minutes and health and durability have always been a concern. So the fact that he was able to play 45 minutes and do so well is incredible. And then I think we're definitely going to be seeing the double big lineup to start. Like as soon as Al is ready to come back, I'm 99% sure the starting lineup will be double bigs. Yeah, I totally agree. I never in my life thought I would see a stat line where Rob Williams plays 45 minutes and has one foul. That (laughs) blew my mind. And that's a really good sign. He's a little bit more disciplined. But I have another Rob takeaway from tonight that is not as rosy. I don't know if it was something going on with his knee or what, but from the jump, he was just not like bouncy like he normally was at all. Like there was no explosion from him, really. It didn't wholly impact his game. Like he was so good tonight, but it was just very noticeable. Even watching him like away from the ball, he was not bouncy. And normally he's very springy, obviously. He's a super explosive athlete. But like I was talking about it with Suichi a lot during the game, like it was very noticeable. And then with 10 seconds left, he gets the ball from Smart in the paint. And instead of just throwing RJ Barrett into the rim and dunking it, he kind of like barely went up and just sort of like went to lay it in and RJ Barrett blocked me, got fouled and whatever. He went to the line and it was, it was fine. But like smart looked at him. He was like, dunk it. Like he made the motion to just dunk. And it was weird. Like Rob would normally toss RJ Barrett into the rim, but it was just kind of an odd little side note that I think we should kind of keep an eye on. Because it was a little bizarre, but I don't want that to take away from the fact that he was really, really, really impressive tonight. Really good in some extensive minutes that we've never seen from him before. That's a good point, for sure. I mean, and yeah, like you said, he didn't dunk that one. I think there was another, I can't remember if it was a lob or a putback or something where he missed a dunk. And it was just like, really, Rob? I was like, all right, man. Maybe it's like a mental thing. Like maybe he's trying to reel it in and just like play a little bit more like responsibly, I guess, for lack of a better word. Hey, if he can if he can be less springy and play like he did tonight, I think the Celtics will be just fine with it because he was overall he was unbelievable for sure. A couple of small things I wanted to touch on real quick before we left. Did you guys think the Celtics should have challenged that Jalen layup that and one at the time? I thought they should have, but Imeodoka said they talked it over and on the little monitor behind the bench, they saw that he was moving a little bit and they were worried about the timeouts because they only had two left at the time. So I do get the reasoning with the timeouts for sure. Personally, I think they should have challenged it. <laughs> that would have been three points. It looked like a, like a blocking foul to me, or at very least like, I don't know. It, it was, it was a tough one because I, I think, you know, on the broadcast, I think it was Jeff Van Gundy said it should have been a play on. And obviously you can't really just call like, all right, we're changing the call to a play on, but <laughs> I, I did think that Jalen avoided the charge pretty well. No foul. Everybody go. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think it's hard to challenge it though, because of the call that it was on the floor. Like the chances that it would get overturned seemed kind of slim and then they would only have one timeout. So that's fair. Although what it turned out, what they needed was to not have a timeout so that Jason Tatum could fall over and then get the ball out. Marcus Smart gets an open three. So really the lack of timeouts uh, might've benefited them. And then the, uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on real quick was like, I want Kemba Walker to have a really nice season in New York. 
it just he just looked exactly like he always looked in Boston, right? Like he made some threes, put some dribble moves on guys, but it wasn't that productive. He wasn't in the game down the stretch, you know, because the Knicks were trying to like preserve his minutes. Like it was just a very familiar Kemba Walker night, I felt like. This offense with the Knicks is going to change a lot over the next couple of weeks. There's going to be some serious adjusting with some of the new guys they have in there, but he's playing next to Julius Randle, who is a heavy volume guy. He's playing next to Evan Fournier, where when he's at his best is a heavy volume guy there's just not going to be a lot of shots for him so I think there are going to be a lot of 10-ish point nights for Kemba which you're right is what we saw a decent amount of in Boston but I, I think he's kind of accepted it I don't I don't really know it's the fact that he couldn't even play in the double overtime I think shows why the Celtics were interested in dumping him because like what's the point then like yeah. I think this role would have been similar in the Celtics offense like obviously he should be deferring to Jalen and Jason but like if you can't even be on the court truly what's the point that being said Evan Fournier, however, when speaking of former Celtics, they're probably wondering, man, what if like he didn't get COVID and what if we could have maybe swung something there? Because he had a great night. He did. I I thought it was interesting that eBay was so open when he talked about what went wrong with Fournier because Brad never would have been that open. You know, he he said, well, we were switching one through five for most of the game. And then we switched to just one through four because we wanted Rob to continue guarding Julius Randle. And there were some defensive mistakes that were made there because guys thought that Rob was supposed to be switching onto Fournier, but Rob was supposed to be staying on Randle. It was very refreshing to have a coach just kind of tell us what happened. It was like, thank you, eBay. And I I did notice that at one point, Jalen yelled at Rob on one of Fournier's threes. And Rob was like, I wasn't supposed to be there. Like, I'm supposed to be on Randle. And and he was right. Rob was 100% right. I thoroughly enjoyed the transparency about the blown coverages from Emay. We never would have gotten that from Brad. And Brad would have, you know, obviously he's pinpointed the problem in his head, but he just wouldn't have relayed that to us. So I, I really enjoyed the explanation from Emay as well. I, I really hope it continues. Very last thing here, Knicks versus Celtics. Does this kind of make you guys think the Knicks are, you know, better than the Celtics? I mean, obviously it's like, you know, first game over reaction, but like... I mean, I definitely think it's too early to say anything definitive. However, it has me excited about, I think like a rivalry might be overstated but just like clearly competitive. And as we saw last season, they were right around each other in terms of playoff seeding. So I think it's going to be competitive. I think they will be battling for playoff seeding and their games will be important. I still think the Knicks could finish above the Celtics. This is not a bet. Like, I actually do. This game, I know the Knicks won, but it confirmed some of my concerns about the Knicks offensively. Their offense looked like crap for the majority of that game, and as did the Celtics. Like, there were some really bad stretches offensively, but there were some rough patches for the Knicks offense here, and I have no doubt they'll get an order because they're pretty talented, but I think the Knicks and the Celtics are really evenly matched teams. Like, if you could get them in the 4-5 matchup or something somehow... I think that would be a ton of fun. My mild counterpoint, because I, I do hear you, but I, Al Horford wasn't playing. Jason Tatum went seven for 30. I just can't adjust my take about the Knicks finishing above the Celtics off of opening night. Maybe three weeks from now, I'll be saying yes, because I think the Celtics without Al Horford and without Josh Richardson did play better than I thought they would have tonight. But I have to stay strong on my Julius Randle Hill here. I respect it. Julius Randle Hill is a strong hill after tonight's game. There's it no is a aspirant Williams. It is a very strong hill. <laughs> he looked amazing. All right. I think we can leave it there. As always, we appreciate everybody for listening. Thank you for uh, leaving us a review if you've done that already. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to get in touch. And we will talk to you all again later this week.